So today we are continuing our series in the, the love of God, right? The gospel of John and love and adoration in real life is what we're here to talk about. Love and adoration in real life. And I love what my brother Jerry had to say here early, right? That it all comes from. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about today our, our love for Christ and our adoration for him and how that looks in real life. But God is always the first mover. We love because we have first been loved by him. We only respond. Our love is in response to his love. So let's just make sure that in all the context of what we're going to talk about today, that we do not ever mistake that and lose that. He is our first mover. So context, we're in John chapter 12, page 898, if you're going to use one of the Bibles that's provided for you. And where are we at? Where are we at in the life of Jesus? Where are we at in the gospel here of John? Our story today is found in three out of the four gospels. Um, and so that's there. It's repetitive for us. And there's usually a purpose to that. Uh, we're going to look at it through John's uh, lens. What we're now at is the end of Jesus's ministry. It's around six days before the Passover. We're winding down Jesus's ministry. And just previously... His good buddy, Lazarus, had passed away, and Jesus, for all kinds of reasons, one was for the fame of God, for, to show his miraculous power, to show his love for people, he decided to raise, because people also requested that he's going to raise Raz Lazarus from the dead. So he had just done that very, uh, not too much previously, and, you know, when somebody's raised from the dead and they come back, you know, we have a funeral, right? We all get together and we, we kind of, you know, we share together and we hug each other and we cry together. But if some one of our loved ones would come back, I would imagine that we'd all get together again. We would say, if we had the funeral, let's have the reverse of it. We are going to have a gathering. We are going to have a banquet. We are going to celebrate life. We're going to celebrate, and that's what they did. The friends and family of Lazarus gathered together, and they said, we're going to throw a party. We're going to get together, and we are going to celebrate that our brother, our friend, who was dead, who is now alive, is here with us. We're going to break bread together, probably had some good food, had lots of people together there. We know at least one of the disciples was there. So they're gathered together. And Jesus, because this is his close group, right? Everybody's got a close group, including Jesus. He had his disciples, he had Mary and Martha, he had Simon, he had the disciples. So Jesus and his kind of extended small group are all getting together to celebrate. So picture a Friday night, but you can't picture someone being resurrected. That's going to be a little tough, but you know, go, go deep in your, because none of us have, I think, experienced that. But imagine everyone together, the joy, the celebration that's our context for John chapter 12. Let's unpack it together. Let's read a just the first couple of verses. I'm probably just going to hit verses at a time uh, as we go. Starting verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Kind of in verse 1 and 2 here, what do we have? We kind of have the normal story. If, you've read, if you know anything about the Mary and Martha you know, syndrome, what do we got here? What was Martha doing again? Martha was serving. Mary is nowhere to be found here at the beginning, right? You know, Mary's, she's probably doing something else. Jesus and the team Lazarus are reclining. The way they were apt to do in this time and in this culture was have a low table, and people would have their head maybe kind of on one elbow. They would reach for the food. It was a very relaxed, very social setting with you know, feet kind of kicked backwards. 
all around the food, people probably around, maybe some people milling around, a relaxed atmosphere, beautiful Martha doing all the work, putting it all together, getting it all done. And I'm sure she was maybe going to have a word or two for her sister uh, at some point. Um, you know, I could use a little help. Then we see what was going on with Mary. Verse 3. Mary must have kind of maybe walked away. Maybe she went back to her bedroom into her special cabinet. So Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So just think about this. Right? The setting, probably laughter, joyful. <laughs> Lazarus is alive. Everybody's here. Might have been some music playing. And Mary just kind of skirts away, goes, gets this very, very special perfume. The other gospels tell us it was an alabaster jar, which is basically a jar that you have to break. You can't just open it, smell it, close it, open it, smell it. It's, it's perfume. It's locked in there. It is saved for a very, very special time. Completely, the only way to get to it is to break it. And so when you use it, you're going to use it. Likely, she was saving it for his burial because Mary always paid attention. But here, Mary goes in during this joyful time, celebration time, Mary is moved and goes and gets this perfume, cost of which is probably somewhere around $50,000, a one year's wages, and takes it while Jesus is reclining. The other gospels tell us she dumped it on his head, and this gospel tells us on his feet, so likely hands and feet, dumps it on his feet. Now remember the culture that we're in, right? Her hair was probably up, probably covered, takes her hair out, lets her hair come down, Think about how big a deal that is in this culture with the people there, with a the rabbi Jesus there. Let's her hair down while everyone's reclining and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. That doesn't flow from verse 1 and 2, right? That is something amazing and something special. I don't believe that was an itinerary. You know, in a lot of banquets right there's an itinerary. First, we're going to have, you know, the appetizers, and then there's going to be an announcement, and then there's going to be this. Then we're going to have the main course, and between dinner, Mary's going to get the ointment, and she's going to dump it on Jesus' feet, going to wipe with his hair. Then we're going to go to port, and then we're going to do—I don't—I think this was a spontaneous reflection of the love and the adoration that was bursting out of her heart. I'm pretty sure if Martha said, that is $50,000 worth of perfume. We know for a fact, we'll get to it in a minute, somebody did say that. So I think this was a spontaneous reflection of the love and the adoration in real life. The act that she did, even pull her hair out to wipe his feet, that we're on some, well, we're, we're pretty far over here. I mean, that's a, we're pretty far into what may or may not be appropriate in this culture. I'm not sure that she was overly concerned at that moment. Let's read the next section, because it shifts gears real quickly. So the fragrance had just filled the entire house, but, so here's one of the disciples, one of Jesus' 12, but G Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and we get a little bit of foreshadowing here, he who was about to betray him said this, 
Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he had his, one of his talents was, you know, he was financially inclined, so he got the money bag. Some of our own best talents in life are the downfall of all of us. So he had some talent for the money, so they gave him the money bag, and guess what? It got the best of him, and he was a thief. He took from the money bag all the time, and he wanted more money in the money bag. Because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. What can we learn from this part, right? So Mary had just done this extravagant thing, right? Poured out this ointment, poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his hair. And Judas Iscariot, which I think the way we can look at this, is the way a lot of times we can hear these kind of phrases in the Christian church, and a lot of times Christians will come across with this. It's a little bit of that, I'll call, I'm going to call it for today's sake, the tisk tisk Christians, like tisk tisk. Can't believe you did that. That was $50,000 worth of ointment. If we would have just put it in the coffers, you know how many poor people we could have done this. It's a very prudent approach to Christianity. It's the really a prudent approach, and many times it's a facade for self-righteousness, and Judas didn't even care about that. He just wanted the money. He was just a thief. So there's many people around that are going to go tis, tisk us all the way. Oh, wow. Like, that Mary, boy, she is just the emotional one, isn't she? <laughs> Look at her. You can't go through one dinner without getting $50,000 of perfume and dumping it at Jesus' feet. Great. Five minutes later, we've had a, yeah, that was wonderful. Now, we're out $50,000. The perfume is here. By tomorrow, it's all going to be gone. And we've accomplished nothing. Mary, you need to mature. You need to grow up. You need to act like a better, more mature Christian. That is not the way we behave. Tisk tisk. We can all become tisk tisk Christians very, very quickly. Only the prudent thing, only the right thing. Let me tell you, that was very emotional. We do not need emotion. That's all generally true, except when the Spirit of the Lord is moving. And when the Spirit of the Lord is moving, there will be prudence, there will be things, but there will be miracles, there will be extravagance. The extravagance of his love for us, he was about to die on a cross for people that spit in his face, ran from him, and deserved nothing. He's creator of all universe, and he was about to extravagantly pour out his love, his blood for us. And Mary was paying attention, and she had insight into these things. She knew who he was. She knew what was happening in general. Many of the scholars believe she had this saved for his burial because she had heard him say things that he was going to give his body, that he was going to give himself. Can't say that for sure. But in that moment, she brought it. And Judas, Mary, Mary. I wouldn't be surprised if there was others. I wouldn't be surprised, right? Don't know, but we know that Judas. And what did Jesus respond to Judas? He took a moment, and he said, basically, paraphrasing for us, you will always have the poor among you. Meaning, if you really want to do right by the poor, and you want to gather $50,000 for them, and you want to give them, you will have ample opportunity tomorrow. You can have all the fundraisers you want. Judas, why don't you get all the money out of your pocket? You can do this tonight. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. You can do it anytime you want, and you should. 
and you should, but you only have me for a moment. And I care deeply about the poor, more than you will, but I am the father of all. And you only have me at this moment. So love for me, time for me, is never taking away from the horizontal. Anything we do for the vertical is never taking away from the horizontal. So he called him out, and he basically lifted up Mary and said, she is doing the right thing. It's not that she doesn't love the poor. Her love for me probably evidences that more than you, Judas. But she loves me. And she's expressing her love for me. To me. And that is a good thing. So now we move on. And to me, this actually, if we're going from a level of like, wow, this next section is it's, it's completely different. It's got a little turn to it, but we're going to encapsulate it together. And we're going to pull it together here because it kind of ties it in. When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also because they wanted to see Lazarus. This guy had been risen from the dead. It's like, this, I want to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of Lazarus and his coming to, to, to life again, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So think about this. Here's Lazarus. He dies. Jesus raises him from the dead. So here's Lazarus. Comes back to life. Many people see this, and they understand that Jesus came, uh, Lazarus came back to life. They go, like, that's a big deal. And Jesus is the one who did that. That's a big deal. We are going to believe in Jesus. We, are, we have evidence of his miraculous power. We've heard what he said, that he is the rabbi, the teacher of teachers, the rabbi of rabbis, Lord of lords, king of kings. We believe in Jesus. And the chief priests... If you want to ever look at a little section that understands the depravity of man and how far all of us have fallen and how far we're redeemed from, look at their solution. Let's kill the guy that was just resurrected from the dead. Yeah, like that's going to work, right? Because if Jesus wants him alive, he died once, Jesus raised him again. Here's our solution. I know, I got a bright idea. How about if we kill him? I mean, that's literally insanity. That is like ridiculous thinking to take out Lazarus as if that's going to solve something. But that was their solution. Because solutions in our depravity, solutions in our depraved mind, I guarantee if you ask those chief priests, they're like, of course that makes sense, right? Yeah, Lazarus is the, you know, Lazarus, they look to Lazarus, if Lazarus ceases to exist, if we kill Lazarus, we're all good. A equals B, B equals C, in their mind that makes sense, but when you take a step back, you're like, that is literally ludicrous thinking. In our depraved minds, the most ridiculous of concepts seem very appropriate and seem very, very reasonable. I thought, when I was just thinking of this, I just sat for two minutes. It took me two minutes to come up with just a couple. The ones that hit me all the time that I know hit many of you. This world can make me happy. But I just need a little bit more power, just a little bit more prestige, just a little bit more pleasure in my life, just a little bit more profit, a little bit more money, just a little bit more, and I'll finally be happy and content. Satan uses that one a lot, doesn't he? In all kinds of variations, all kinds of variations. It's not true, but in our depraved mind, we seems to make sense. I need to work a little harder for a few more things that'll make me happy. In order for me to really get where I need to be, I need Jesus and. 
I need that second thing. Because Jesus, absolutely, that's foundational. But to build the pyramid, I need Jesus saying, that's where I'm going to get my joy and my contentment. Seems reasonable, except it's completely ridiculous thinking, and it's not true. Sometimes, when we're really being those good Christians, you know, Jesus needs my help. He needed my help to raise Lazarus from the dead, clearly, right? It was a team effort. I don't think so. Lazarus didn't contribute at all. <laughs> I mean, unless you consider dying, you know, something you know, to contribute. Jesus can do it all. He has done it all. He will continue to do it all. And we just need to let him, right? But that's the way our thinking can go because of how we are. So how do we interpret Mary's actions? The way I'd like us to interpret them today is that Mary has an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not a theoretical, it is not theological, it is not some concept. She's not following a vision, she's not following a concept. She is following her Lord, the lover of her soul, her one and only. What I wrote down for myself is that intimacy equals closeness, closeness equals a relationship. She had a relationship with Jesus. She had it for real, even though he was Lord of all and her God. The converse to it that I'd like us to use this word, so give me a little grace for this word, is the, the, the opposite of this intimacy, I think is, especially within a church, I think is respect. There's often where I put respect equals appropriate distance, which equals religion. Many times within the church, you will hear, Jesus is over there, I keep an appropriate distance because I'm fallen and I'm sinful and he is holy and he's amazing and I believe in him. I don't want to put my junk on him and I'm going to be over here and I respect him. Oh, I respect him, but I'm going to keep my distance so I don't tarnish him with my broken life and with my brokenness. And this Satan is the father of that lie. I respect him. Oh, do I respect him? Jesus doesn't want that. Our love, our intimacy includes our respect. It is so far above it. But we get pulled into this idea, I respect him. I would never just pour ointment on his feet in front of other people and let my hair down and rub his feet with it. I would never do that. He is the rabbi. I would never do that. The respect can keep us at a distance. So, Jerry, this kind of made me think of this when you were talking about this. If we feel unworthy, if we feel that our sin is too great, if we really do at times have that, because I think it's an authentic feeling to respect Jesus, to keep a distance, right? So in this world, what, what do we think about dignitaries and leaders and all the celebrities and anybody who has the power? They have bodyguards, right? They're, the whole job, of they have an entire army of people keeping the masses away from them, keeping everyone. They can rule them, but at a distance. They, literally, an army of people to keep people away our Father, our Lord, our Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer is the exact opposite. He's sending out hordes of angels and he's sending out his Holy Spirit to gather us in closely. He said, do not keep the little children from me. He chastised them. He said, bring them to me. He wants us to lay our head on his shoulder. He wants us to lay our head on his chest. He wants us to sit, metaphorically speaking, on his lap. He wants us to hug him because he is already reaching out. So when we think that our sin is too great, 
when we think that we are, we are too broken and we need to respectfully keep our distance, we need to keep in mind a couple things that the Holy Spirit taught us all throughout his scripture. That before we know him, before we have come to know Jesus Christ, we are all unworthy. Every single one of us, completely and utterly unworthy, all equally unworthy. And when we come and we say, Lord, I can't do it, but you've done it for me, you died for me, and I accept your love for me, I accept your blood, and it makes me white, we are now all equally righteous because we stand behind the blood of Jesus Christ. And God looks at us not as if we are on levels. We look at us, he's now adopted us completely into his inheritance, and we are his, and we are his equally. So we never, ever, ever, ever again have to buy that lie that we need to keep our distance from Jesus. He came billions of miles, if you will, to come and get us, not for us to keep a distance from him. So if that ever is in your heart, understand it's not true. It is from Satan. It is not from his Holy Spirit. He wants you right next to him. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. So we're now moving forward. We understand that. And we're going to hit this last part very, very quickly. Because we've seen the whole passage, but what does this look like in real life, right? We've seen Mary as an example. So I wrote a few notes down. If you feel like writing it down, feel free. But here's what they are. Five quick attributes that Mary showed that I think if we're looking at a coming up Tuesday in real life here, you're going to see these attributes if you really love and adore Jesus. And I'm speaking to myself first, all right? Adoration. I adore my one and only. Jesus. Devotion. I am devoted to you, my one and only. Submission. She's submitted. I consecrate you as the one and only in my life. Thoughtful. Full of thought. I think on your beauty. I think on your suffering. I think on your burial. I think on the fact that you are here right now. I'm thinking of the fact that I have ointment in my closet. I'm thinking of you and your beauty and what you have done for me. An expression. All of this in our mind, in our heart, has physical expression. And in Mary's life, it had physical expression in the ointment. It could have been another way. It could have been in whatever way God has for you in your life, in your moment, in your closet, in your house, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your pocket. How can we express it? So five quick attributes, right? Adoration, devotion, submission, thoughtfulness, and expression. And we're going to close with nine quick questions. I'm not going to expound on these. They were just on my heart, and I thought it'd be healthy for us just to say them out loud and reflect. But I will ask you with a little bit of a challenge, right? Keeping in mind the context, what did Jerry lead us with? The context is that God is the first mover that we only love because we loved him. Nothing that we do. So Mary, by the way, here was not better than Martha. Jesus loves equally, but Mary was expressing in a way, right? So we are not earning God's love. We're not this or that. He loves us unconditionally, completely, fully. Amen, right? But we get the privilege of living it life out fully if we can show our love and live it out fully, right? It's for our benefit, not for Jesus' benefit. It's for our benefit. So ask ourselves these questions to give us a chance. Do we have love 
and adoration being lived out in real life. Not in some theoretical way, but in real life. Question number one, do I talk to Jesus in the Holy Spirit? Do I really talk to him? Do I really share versus having respectful prayers? Go back to my respectful prayers, you know. God bless the world. God help the hungry. God do this. God do that. God help those people that are saying, yeah, God forgive me generally. and Amen. You know, versus do we really talk and share and be transparent with our one and only? Am I having a conversation with the one who is listening like no one's ever listened to us in our entire life? Who already knows everything we should be saying, but we are not saying it. He's like, I am here and I've got literally all the time in the world. And you're the only one I'm listening to. So tell me what's really going on. Do I talk to Jesus and the Holy Spirit for real? Do I listen to what God has to say. Both in a time of prayer, do I actually listen to what the moving of the Spirit is? What's the easiest way to listen? Anyone can shout it out? Okay, fine, I'll beat you to it, right? Reading the Bible. He actually gave us his playbook, and if we ask him, man, I wish God was speaking to me. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, sometimes when I'm in my little, you know, not good moments, when I'm not being as good as I should be, I'm like, really? God's not speaking to you. When was the last time you read your Bible, right? Yeah, really? I'm sure he's speaking to you. Uh, it's going to come across loud and clear. Am I listening? Do I have any desire to listen? If I have love and adoration for the God of this entire world, I may have a desire to hear what he has to say. Do I think about and smile once in a while when I think about my one and only? When you're in a love relationship, right, think about the, when the love was fresh, right, when it was brand new, right? Every once in a while, someone will see you smiling, and you're like, what are you smiling about? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm engaged. You know, that's kind of cool I'm thinking about, right? You know, yeah. I'm thinking about my one and only, and it brought a smile to my face. That would be, that would ha that's what happened to Mary here. Do I ever, number four, do I ever truly worship without the praise band, without the energy of the entire congregation? The congregation can cover it up for us. We're not ready, we're not there, but by the third song, they've kind of gotten us going, and the energy from the praise team, we had two new attendees in the praise team, but amen, right? That was, I love that, amen to that, right? Yeah, amen, that was awesome. That They can bring our energy up, and we have a false sense of, yeah, I worship today. Yeah, that's because 150 people dragged you along with them. By yourself, you would have been the one bringing them down. Think about that. Jerry had to thank us for being here on time. Do I ever truly worship, truly worship when I'm by myself? Number five, do I grieve when I sin and defame the name of my one and only? Is there time of real grieving? Not like, oh, I know I need to say sorry. You know, you've said sorry when you didn't really mean it, right? You've even gotten away with it because <laughs> they kind of have to. I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. And they're like, I know you're not sorry. Well, I'm sorry. And we're playing this little game with Jesus. We ain't getting away with it. Do we grieve when we have defamed his name? To the one you love and adore, there will be grieving in the heart. Do I dream of more time with my one and only? The people we love, it's one of the five languages of love, right? It's there for a reason, <laughs> time, yeah, time well spent. Number six, do I dream of more time with my one and only? Number seven, do I spend my time and my money in or my talent, any way you want to put it, in expression of my one and only? 
Number eight, do I tell others how beautiful and amazing my one and only is? I've been married 25 years now. I just had my uh, 25 year anniversary. We got away on a great trip. If you ask me about my beloved, you know, in this earth, right, my one and only wife, and if I only tell you about my wedding day and how beautiful she looked on her wedding day and how beautiful she looked in her gown and how beautiful that day was, you would think there's something wrong with me. If I can't tell you how beautiful she was this morning and what she said to me over breakfast and what happened last night and, oh, my goodness, last Thursday you should have seen her, you would say there's something wrong in my relationship. I should be able to tell you how amazing my one and only is from our conversation this morning. And the last one, number nine, do I really have an audience of one? What would your life or my life look like to replicate Mary's heart and her ointment? I don't know what it is for you. I have some senses of what it is for me to really let loose and to live a life, to let my love and adoration. Sometimes I feel like I need to be politically correct. Sometimes I'm actually fearful what will happen in the workplace or in my neighborhood. There's people I truly care about, and I want to give them to the love of Christ. But I think that if I go one step too far and pour out the ointment, if you will, on Jesus, they're going to think, this guy's a little off his rocker, right? He's, uh, you know, he needs to be bringing back in a little bit. He's a little emotional out there. So there's all kinds of reasons in my life Maybe think about it for you. I do want to hit this point here. The good news is, when we struggle with this, does Jesus know we struggle with all this, that we have a hard time pouring out the ointment for real, the love and adoration in real life? He does, right? Amen, right? The good news is, does he love us the same? Yes, he's the first mover. Does he go, ah, Stan's been struggling with this. He's not acting quite like Mary. He's acting a little more like Martha at this moment. I'm going to have to pull back my love a little bit. I love Stan a little less because he's, he's a little weak lately. We have an amazing God who loves first, who loves completely, and who loves forever, and he will drag us along kicking and screaming. All that's going to happen is if we're dragged along kicking and screaming, it's going to be like 1 Corinthians 3. It's going to say, you're here. Boy, did you miss a lot of blessings. Boy, if you'd have looked back and saw what would have happened if you'd have poured out the ointment. Because you know what happened here? What did Jesus say? It's not recorded in this gospel. In the gospel, what do we have? We have it in Matthew and we have it in Mark. Yeah, it's Luke. It's the one that doesn't have it. Matthew and Mark, they got a little uh, section at the end. It says basically, I'm paraphrasing, but it says, for all time, wherever the gospel is preached, in all the world forever, they will talk about what happened here with Mary forever. And November 4th, 2018, in Akron, Ohio, that prophecy is true. We are literally talking about Mary 2,000 years later. And she is talked about forever in all the world. And we will be talking about her in heaven because she went and got $50,000 worth of perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet, let out her hair, and, we, and she literally wiped his feet, not out of saying, look at me. Would it be in the Bible if it was a look at me moment? Right? A lot of, we do a lot of Christians do a lot of look at me stuff. This was not a look. This was an expression of love and adoration to the master. It is not performance at all. It is God bringing us. And it is for all time and all place. That is what love and adoration looks like in real life. Shall we pray together? 
Father God, we thank you for recording the story. We thank you for preserving it in your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has found fit to put it on our hearts and put it in our preaching series. We thank you, Lord, that you have it for us. We truly adore you, Lord, and we do not give you the full expression. We ask you, Lord, that we can pour out our love to you in a way that gives it real-life expression. Lord, we ask you to stand in the gap for us when, it, it, when our hearts are there, but our actions are weak. We ask to, you to remove the fear. We ask you to move us past just technical knowledge into actual physical expression. Lord, we want to experience the miracles of life, the way people can stand up and notice, the way the world can be changed if they can see how we behave with our one and only. Lord, I know the team now is going to sing, I Stand Amazed, and if that's still on your list, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you put it in our hearts, that we truly stand amazed, and we give expression to the amazing love you gave for us. Help us, Lord, give it back to you. In your name we pray, amen.